Right. Uh, we're going to be beginning our series. So we've had a bit of a break. We looked at prayer. Can you remember the whole sweep of this year looking at practicing the ways of Jesus? And um, I'm, gonna, I'm just waiting for the palpable woo as we engage in the subject of fasting. Yeah, there it is. There it is. We got one. It's an interesting one, isn't it? You're like, okay, we've got Christmas coming up. Yeah, yeah, what are we going to do with that? Fasting. There is a, a, a beautiful psalm, Psalm 63, if you'd like to turn to it. And I want to use it as our launch pad into this subject. So as you're finding that, I just want to preface for you um, the, the concept of fasting with a medical advisory, okay? So if you, if you are under medical supervision and you're being given medication, you might be diabetic, you might have any scenario that would be affected by this, I'd like you to seek medical advice before you attempt to fast using food as the item that you're fasting with, okay? And the... It's really important that you do that. Um, and I also want to say that within that, I don't believe you're going to miss out if you can't fast from food. The Lord isn't like that. Okay, He's not going to withhold from you the blessings of his reward as you seek him because you're not able to fast because of medical reasons. Okay? And so I just want to say, if you do have medical rationale for needing to ask for professional advice before you enter into thinking about fasting, please do. But if that is the case, please do not see that you are limited from the heart of God because of it. Because he's a God full of grace. Yeah? Okay, let's dive into Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I've looked for you in the sanctuary to see your glory, your power. Because of your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. My mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. Let's go read verses 1 and 2 again. O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I've looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. The psalmist frames the context of their life in a land that is dry, that is thirsty, where there is no water. As you read the Bible, you start to see the metaphors of physical reality presenting spiritual truth again and again. And so this dry land is the absence of the presence of God and his spirit. And the water is 
his presence and his spirit. Go back to that picture of the Ezekiel River, of the, the river of God flowing out from the temple. Where Jesus stands up and cries, if anybody's thirsty, come to me and I'll give you a drink where you'll never thirst anymore. This narrative of water and spirit is one that we're picking up here and he's contextualizing the difference between living in a dry and thirsty land Nothing around me satisfies. Nothing around me is alive like God. It's like sand. When I approach it and I get the thing that was my heart's desire, it's almost like it turns to sand. I become dissatisfied with its substance because what it offered me isn't what I thought it was going to give me. I often think to myself, I wonder how many cars have been scrapped in the UK in the last year. And you think, what? That's a bit of a weird thought. You can actually go onto a web page and find out how many of a certain model are still on the British roads. Just a fascinating fact. I thought you'd love to know. <laughs> There's a point, honestly. The point is that every single one of those cars was somebody's heart's desire. That excitement of the purchase, that excitement of driving it, that excitement of identity that it gave when they got in it, the smell of the fabric, the movement of the vehicle, the energy, the, 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 the surrounding expression that everybody, oh, look at that. I got a new car. How long was it before it was scrap? Just think how many get scrapped every year. And how many of those things were the heart's desire? And then it just fell apart. It's not just cars, is it? It could be clothing. It could be jewellery. It could be tech gadgets, it could be a home, it could be the decoration, it could be the furniture, it could be, it could be, it could be. But every single time we approach these things in a dry land, at the end of it, it just doesn't satisfy. You get to it, you get it, it's installed, it's doing its thing and it's like, but there's still more, my heart longs, longs for the presence of the Lord doesn't satisfy and so there's this picture that the psalmist is creating saying in a dry and thirsty land where there's no water and then he moves and he goes I looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory he knew where to go what a privilege what a privilege we have to know where to go so many people don't know. They just don't know where to go. We do. We need to share that with the world. He says, because your loving kindness is better than life. Your loving kindness is better than life. Just chew on that for a minute. That tasty morsel. Better than life, your loving kindness, your nature, who you are, God, is better than everything else that can be offered, even life itself. 
There's a picture here of the sanctuary. I've gone to the sanctuary back then. You know, you, you, you want to encounter God, you go to the sanctuary. The psalmist speaks later on, better one day in your courts, one day in the periphery of the temple, the holy place, than a thousand elsewhere. I don't want to be anywhere else. At least let me stand by the gate and be a gatekeeper in your house. I want to stay there. I want to be proximate to your presence. I want to be close to you. Don't put me anywhere else because better is there than anywhere else. And anywhere else is... I mean, there's a lot of glory in the world, right? There's some real beauty. I mean, God is creative. And when he breathed us into existence, he made a whole load of amazing things because he made us in his own image and we're creative. So we make amazing stuff, right? Cars are amazing. Our clothes are amazing. What we do, how we are is amazing and beautiful, but it isn't it. We don't want to get confused that it is. So the psalmist is like, I want to be in your sanctuary. I want to be where you are. Because I just, I approach everything. It's like that Ecclesiastes journey where Solomon just goes forward and he just inquires about everything. What about this? What about that? What about that? What about the career I've got? What about the empire I'm building? What about the premises that I'm building, the palaces and all the rest? What about the wealth? What about the wealth of nations, the political alliances, the power and authority that I've got in the land? What about my armies, my chariots, my glory, my robes? What does Jesus say? Consider the lilies of the field. Even one of those is dressed more splendidly than Solomon. And yet it's there and then it's gone. And Solomon concludes that there's nothing worth pursuing except that God is in the middle of it. And that's it. That's what he's about. That's what he wants. And so this psalmist is calling us to this place. He's enticing our hunger. He's, he's setting us up to whet our appetite. And ask the question of us, what do you really want? What do you really want? When everything's said and done, what do you really want? And as Christians, the one thing that we really want, that we've been so beautifully led in a time of worship and through prophetic words and meeting leading today, is about his presence, about him. We want him above everything else. And we'll look in a minute at Matthew 9 where Jesus references why his disciples aren't fasting because he's with them. The psalm goes on. Verse 4 of 63. Thus I will bless you while I live. I'll lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. I don't know about you, but when I think of something incredibly desirable to eat, marrow and fatness isn't one of the first things that comes to mind. Break open a bone, suck out that juicy goodness. I'm like, I don't know, I don't know how that works. I don't even know. Yeah, I don't know what. I, I just, I guess, I'm ignorant. All right, I need to, I need to unpack my culinary experience. So marrow and fatness for me is like. Okay, I'm, I know you're alluding to some good stuff. 
but I can't connect like a decent pasty, right? So I think, I think it needs to say in there, like, my soul shall be satisfied as with a decent pasty. Now, you can insert whatever it is that you, you know, your, your heart longs for when you're hungry and your go-to on holiday is like, yeah, that's what I'm after. That's what I'm having. There is this interesting picture in Scripture, this dual positioning, because God who is spirit has made known himself by creating that which is material. In the beginning, God speaks and the physical realm is created. And the physical realm is God's glory. The heaven and earth shall praise his name. They shall speak of his wondrous works. The physical realm is an expression of the spiritual reality made manifest, made real, presented to us so we can experience it. And so throughout Scripture, you've got this constant picture with Israel and elsewhere of the difference between heaven and earth and that the things that happen on earth and what God does with us and his instruction to us are a material representation of what he wants to see from the spiritual realm amongst his people. I want what's going on in heaven to be made manifest on earth. And so we start to see this interplay of language that uses frames of referencing that we understand, like food, to help us understand a spiritual reality in a material way. But it's not just that, because God has also made us so that we're both spirit and physical beings. We are an embodied spirit. We're not a body with a spirit that's in us, sort of like a sort of a robot suit that you kind of get in and, oh yeah, that'll work. And we're totally disassociated from it. The, the Hebraic picture, the Bible picture, is much more of a complete intertwining of spirit and flesh. So God makes us from the dust of the earth and then he comes like incredibly close like a kiss and he breathes into us the life-giving spirit and we are animated we're made in his image and so when it comes to things like fasting we find that actually this this originating design of humanity as spirit and flesh intertwined actually get to work together in our relationship with God. They're not distinct. Our body gets involved. If we go, jump back to Deuteronomy verse uh, uh, 6, uh, sorry, chapter 6, verse 5, we see, we see very early on with the giving of the Ten Commandments in verse 5, Moses proclaims to the people you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. That's the physical representation of your spiritual being, with your strength, with your person, with who you are. If we jump forward into Romans 12, 
we'll find that Paul uses the same analogy and he presents to the church there this concept, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, your central processing unit, that you may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. Scripture doesn't separate these things out as distinct entities. We're taught that actually they're connected and intertwined. And so James ends up saying to the church, look, you don't, don't super spiritualize stuff to the extent that you can do with your body one thing and then spiritually something else. You're a connected whole. So you talk about your faith, well, show me your works, which is your faith manifest through your physical being into the world. The prophets with Israel have this difficult journey because again and again Israel gets confused and they, they start doing, so they start sort of following the ordinances of God, the instructions of God. I'd like you to have a fast, I'd like you to do this, I'd like you to do that. And they lose relationship with him. So they end up with the spirit being absent. There's no truth. There's no heart connection with God in what they're doing. It's just ritual. It just becomes a thing to do. Okay, so we, 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 let's call a fast. And the culture got so warped and bent that actually people ended up walking around not washing their hair. I did wash mine. <laughs> not washing their hair, not putting oil of you know, fragrance, so you smell nice, not washing their clothes so that other people would know that they're fasting. Now you go, you know, time and time again, like the prophets are like, what are you doing? You completely missed the point. You completely missed the point. And so the challenge to Israel is, you know, again and again, I desire obedience, not sacrifice. I don't want the ritual of you just doing what you're doing because you think actually it controls me because you've held up your side of the balance and you've done enough and therefore I'm now in your debt. It doesn't work like that. You, you don't have that relationship with God where you go, well, look, if this, then that. If I fast and I do this, then you must. So no, you don't, you don't get to do that a sort of negotiation with God because he's so much better than that. He's so much kinder than that. And so he draws the people away from that and he says, come away with me. Come away with me. I'm drawing you again with cords of love and kindness. And so you have this pattern throughout the whole of the Old Testament again and again. Oh, yeah, well, let's just do the stuff because that will appease God and maybe it will put him in our debt and maybe we'll get what we want. And God's like, no, 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 you don't get that. That's not how it works. You come to me in a relationship of love and it's in the heart. That's where it originates. And so we have the psalmist here in 63 unpacking that and letting people know that it's the loving kindness of God which is better than life. 
That's what I want. I want that better than anything. And actually, moments with you, God, satisfy me more than my choicest food that I'd eat. I don't know who framed it this way. Um, C.S. Lewis, Osgoodness, I can't remember who it was, but they said, if I, if I hunger for something, it must exist. Why else would I ever hunger for something that doesn't exist, right? So we see in the, in the natural, I hunger for things that exist. Flavours, flavour combinations, etc., food, I hunger for that which exists. And so the same is in the spiritual. If I hunger for God, it's because he's there to be found. And so we, we get invited by, by God to come and set aside the things that satisfy us and just keep us going and unaware to come and taste and see that he is good and he's worth so much more. So he says to us, put aside the very thing that your body longs for. Man, just want that pasty. Just, man, I can see it, I can smell it. It's the pastry, really. I'm not totally bothered about the filling. It's just, man, that's good. It's like, oh, it's warm. Mm. Ugh, I want that pasty. And he's like, I want you to take that sense of hunger and I want you to give it to me because I gave you that desire to reference a better desire for me because I'll satisfy you more than that pasty ever would. And so as we taste God and his loving kindness, as we spend time with him, as we give over ourselves, we go, Lord, have my hunger for the pasty. Give me you. Actually, we find our souls satisfied much more. And that's an ongoing iterative journey where we go deeper and deeper with God. It's not about punishing the body. It's not about some asceticism of I'm going to deny this and destroy it because it's inherently evil and therefore I need to step into that which is holy, which is spiritual, not material. No, we've talked about that. We're a combination of spirit and body. And that's why the apostle is able to say, may you prosper as your soul prospers. May you prosper materially, physically as your soul prospers. There isn't this duality. And so God's inviting us to come in and come close. He puts a hunger in us. I believe the fasts of God that we go on individually as people are the ones that he calls us to in the first place. So as we begin this series, I want you to be asking, what do you want of me, Lord? What do you want of me? Because it's, we're, we're people of the Spirit, so we live according to the Spirit, not according to the law. So we're engaged with God to hear what he's saying to us, to take hold of that and then follow his leading. Right? And if he's not talking to you right now about fasting, then don't worry about it. Okay? Don't worry about it. There's more to unpack in Matthew 9. 
but you can do that in community groups this week because we're going to break and have some children's ministry time in a moment. Okay, so can I encourage you to get into group and explore what it is that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 9 and the difference between the old wineskin of religion and law and structure and the new wineskin of grace and the spirit and how fasting relates to that. Okay, and you'll have some material to do that this week. Let me just close in prayer. Father, I thank you that you have promises for us. That you said to Jeremiah, if you, when you seek me, you will find me. I thank you, Jesus, you said the same. Seek and you will find. Ask and it will be given to you. Knock and the door will be opened to you. I thank you that in Hebrews 11.6, you say that if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. And so I ask you by your Holy Spirit, as we engage in this series, exploring what it is to involve our bodies and our appetites in our pursuit of you, that we would be led by your Spirit, that we would find you because you say you are to be found. And that for all of us, we would find you in increasing measure and be amazed at your glory and your beauty. Amen.